it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Thursday, October 20th, 2022. From New York City, it's the Guy Benson Show. I'm your host, Guy Benson. Thank you very much for being here. Every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't catch us as we air live, we have a podcast for that. It is always on demand. It is always totally free. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media, both on Twitter and on Instagram, at GuyBensonShow. Lots of goodies there for you. If you are new to the radio family, we are particularly thrilled to have you along. I'm the political editor at townhall.com and a Fox News contributor. In fact, I'm fresh off the outnumbered couch. Got off the air about two hours ago on Fox News Channel with the ladies. Always enjoy that opportunity. We've got a big show in store for you here on the radio side starting later this hour with U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, a Republican of Iowa. We'll talk to her coming up in just about half an hour. Larry Kudlow, our colleague here at Fox on the economy He'll be joining us in studio next hour. And in our final hour, Kat Timpf, our good friend. She and I were on Gutfeld together last night. She'll be here. Usually we have her on Fridays, but she's a day early. That'll be in the 5 o'clock hour Eastern time, the happy hour, here on today's show. Well, I was planning to open on crime. And I'm still going to get to crime and that issue. And you want to hear this information, by the way, at the start of next hour. But then I saw this clip from MSNBC from one of the leading Democrats on Capitol Hill. And I instantly knew I needed to lead the show with this. We are less than three weeks out from the election, 19 days from the midterm elections. The number one concern among voters is inflation and broadly the economy. We have been making the case on this program now for months, that the Democratic Party, the Biden administration, and Democrats in Congress are heavily responsible for how bad things are. Not for all the badness, not for all the problems. Some things are beyond their control. Some things are cyclical. Some things are global challenges. But at the very least, people in power should do no harm in choppy waters. And they have done an awful lot of harm. Chief among the harmful things that they've done on the inflation front was the $2 trillion that they spent as the first major initiative out of the gate in this Biden era. They spent $1.9 trillion, all the things that have been done up to that point during COVID and all the relief that was necessary. All of those moments, all of those votes, all of that money that went out the door was bipartisan under the Trump administration and under a split Congress, right, compared to the to the White House. You had the Democrats in control, at least of one half of Congress, when all this happened. 
Then the Democrats took full control after the 2020 elections and the 2021 runoffs in Georgia, and they decided, okay, we've got a blank check, and we're going to exploit this as much as we possibly can for partisan gain. And they passed a partisan so-called relief bill on COVID. They call it the Rescue Act. The economy was already rebounding. We had successful vaccines. And they wanted to use this opportunity to claim COVID relief, but instead create this giant windfall of left-wing policies and insane spending, a lot of which had little to nothing to do, the majority of which had nothing to do with immediate COVID relief. It was the perfect example of not letting a crisis go to waste. They had the votes. They had the power. They were going to say it was about COVID, just like they said the Inflation Reduction Act was about inflation, which it wasn't. They just took sort of the the buzz phrase or the top of mind issue of the day, named a bill after that, and then did what they have always wanted to do on a bunch of other priorities. It was extremely dishonest, and it was also reckless and irresponsible. Because at the time, this was early 2021, there were Democratic economists warning, if you spend even more money, especially the way they were doing it, you're going to spend $2 trillion more, it is going to be inflationary. Don't do this. Larry Summers, Jason Furman, Steve Ratner, there were a number of them who have admitted this and were actually just saying, not retroactively, retrospectively, saying it at the time, don't do it, it's inflationary, and that was completely ignored by the Democrats. The White House said, oh, no, how silly. No one's worried about inflation. That was Biden's frame. That's what he said. No one's worried about inflation. And then, of course, the rest is history. Inflation started. It got worse. It went from don't worry about it, it's not going to happen, to, oh, well, it's transitory. Oh, it's peaked. Oh, it's not as bad. It's, it's now just zero, even though it was far from zero. Right? So they just keep shifting their explanations, and we have talked about that evolution multiple times. But the Democrats have been still denying, except for a few sort of eggheads and economics people, Elected Democrats have refused to accept the reality, the economic reality, that their votes for $2 trillion of inflationary spending is directly responsible for a lot of the trouble that we're in right now on inflation and the pain that people are experiencing. And then something has shifted in the last few days. Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, we played the clip yesterday, he gave an interview, I believe it was with Bloomberg, and he admitted it. They asked him, did you spend too much? In that bill, and he said, yes. Now, you could call that intellectual honesty. I'm not sure I want to give him credit for that because he voted for it anyway. He, like every single Democrat on Capitol Hill, went along with $1.9 trillion in totally partisan new spending. And only now, with his name not on the ballot in Virginia this year, is he willing to kind of say, oh, golly gee, I guess, yeah. We spent too much, you think? Which brings us to the clip that I talked about at the very beginning of this monologue, the clip that made me decide to do this monologue to start today's show. Jim Clyburn is the part, is a part, I should say, of the Democratic leadership in the House of Representatives. 
It's Pelosi, Hoyer, Clyburn. One, two, and three. This is one of the most influential Democrats in the country. I'm not sure Joe Biden would be president without Jim Clyburn saving his bacon in South Carolina when that campaign was sputtering out. Clyburn has a lot of juice in the Democratic Party. And he's a member of the leadership. And Pelosi runs that thing with an iron fist. He's one of her top lieutenants. So he went on MSNBC, Clyburn, today, and the host asked him a question about spending and inflation. Fair question. I'll give him credit for this over at MSNBC. Wait for the answer from Clyburn in Cut 28. What do you say to people who say, boy, Washington can talk about all these big programs and everything else, but I'm worried about the cost of food. I'm seeing the cost of eggs shoot up, chicken, gasoline, you know, coming now with the the winter heating. I mean, these are all concerns that hit very directly to people who may say, you know, what's going on in D.C. doesn't think of us. Well, let me make it very clear. All of us are concerned about these rising costs, and all of us knew this would be the case uh, when we put in place this recovery program. Anytime you put more money uh, into uh, the economy, uh, prices uh, tend to rise. Astounding. Quote, all of us knew this would be the case. Talking about the spending. The American Rescue Plan. And then he gave a very brief synopsis of basic economics. When you inject a bunch of money, a bunch of cash into the economy, stimulus, prices tend to rise. Yes. They were being warned of this, not just by Republicans and conservatives, some of their own top economists saying, don't do this. Inflation is a risk. Don't do this. Clyburn's saying, yeah, well, when you do that kind of thing, prices tend to rise. And, quote, all of us knew. Not speaking just on his own behalf, speaking on behalf of every congressional Democrat. All of us knew, he said. Play it again. Cut 30, the shorter version. All of us knew this would be the case uh, when we put in place this recovery program. Anytime you put more money uh, into uh, the economy, uh, prices uh, tend to rise. This is a stark, undeniable self-indictment by one of the top Democrats in Washington. They can't plead ignorance. They can't pretend that their economists weren't sounding the alarms that they were on inflation. All of us knew, he said. And guess what they all did anyway? They walked the damn plank for Pelosi, Schumer, and Biden. They spent $2 trillion more trillion and set us onto the road toward this horrible inflation that is crushing families. This wasn't accidental. This was premeditated. This was a first-degree political felony. I'm sure some of them were lemmings and morons. There are lemmings and morons in Congress in both parties who just go along and do whatever they want, whatever the party tells them to do. I can think of a number of them, actually. Maggie Hassan, Mark Kelly, Tim Ryan. You just go down the list. Raphael Warnock, 
Catherine Cortez Masto, Val Demings, right? They're just yes men and women. But there are other people who set the agenda who knew. They knew better. They didn't care. They did it anyway. And they just maybe figured, ah, eh, maybe we'll get lucky on inflation. Maybe it won't happen. Maybe the media will cover it up for us. Maybe we can just talk nonsense and convince people that it's really not so bad. They can no longer say, we did this with good intentions. We had no idea that inflation might result because of it, because Jim Clyburn said it out loud on MSNBC. All of us knew this would be the case. Because whenever you do this, prices go up. (laughs) I mean, it is extremely candid what he said. You pair that with President Biden a few days ago with his mouthful of chocolate chip ice cream saying that the economy is strong as hell. I don't know what more you need as a one-two punch to say enough is enough. Unified Democrat control of power in Washington, D.C. is a disaster. It is making things worse for the country. It is making things worse for our families. And the worst part of it is the president doesn't seem to have any clue. And the top Democrats in Washington knew what they were doing could be destructive, ignored it, denied it as long as they could. And now time's run out. We're three weeks out from an election and the number three Democrat in the House is like, oh, yeah, oops. All of us knew that was going to happen. Well, now it's happening to all of us. And now all of us have an opportunity to vote. I saw a new poll out today from Monmouth, national poll, Biden at 39% approval. People were attacking the New York Times poll a few days ago. It's an outlier. Yeah, some other polls have him higher, including the Fox poll. This is now the third poll in three days that has Biden at 39%. I'm not a great expert on politics, but I'm pretty sure that's not a great spot for a president to be right before an election, especially a cycle where the end party usually gets wiped out anyway. 39% Biden approval. The generic congressional ballot, Republicans up six. Just like the Harvard-Harris poll we talked about this week. Just like the Trafalgar poll, plus five this week. Monmouth poll, it's 50 to 44 for the Republicans. And among independents, the Republicans are up by 12. There could be a red wave in 19 days. In my opinion, there should be a red wave in 19 days. And by the way, if and when the Democrats get absolutely hammered the way I think they ought to in a couple of weeks, I wonder if the Democrats might finally come out and admit, just like Clyburn did, all of us knew this was going to happen. Because the breadcrumbs are there. The writing appears to be on the wall. The only way this doesn't happen is if people don't show up at the polls, don't do their civic duty, don't register their disgust with the state of the country. It will not happen by accident. It will happen due to action. And I don't know what more you need to be motivated by to take that action from where I sit. There's a lot to get to. Senator Ernst, Larry Kudlow, Kat Timpf, and more. It's the Guy Benson Show from New York on this Thursday. Stay with us. The Guy Benson Show. More next. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. 
I just saw on the news channel a graphic on the screen, record turnout in Georgia in the early voting. After all that suppression from the Republicans and worse than Jim Crow and all that nonsense that they screamed, all a lie, disproven by the primaries, which shattered turnout records, both sides of the aisle, all demographics. I wonder if Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, Major League Baseball, any comment from any of them who bought into the lies? The lies of Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock and Joe Biden? Well, here we are in the general election, and yes, we are seeing massive early turnout. Record-breaking. Almost double the early turnout on day one compared to 2018 in the last midterm elections. (laughs) How does Stacey Abrams explain this? Well, through magic, cut 25. But yesterday, we saw record turnout for early voting. Yes, we should be excited. But let's remember what that means. It does not mean that voter suppression doesn't exist. That's like saying that there are no more sharks in the water because more people get in. We know that voter suppression is alive and well in Georgia, but we're stronger, we're faster, and we're better than it, and we are going to bring it, and we're going to win this election. No, you're not. If the people of Georgia do what needs to be done, she's going to lose again. Hope you're listening to me down there, 106.3 Extra and Friends. I love this. She is trying to celebrate. This is a woman last heard from saying that her solution to inflation is more abortion. Because a dead person costs you a lot less money. That's what she said earlier in the week. Now she's trying to claim that, yes, we should celebrate. And it is a great tribute to us, meaning her, the Democrats, that turnout is setting records, but that doesn't mean that there's no voter suppression. She said voter suppression is alive and well in Georgia. It is incoherent. Her little shark analogy makes no sense at all. There is no voter suppression. No one's vote is being suppressed. The rules are clear. They are completely reasonable. People are voting at record numbers, at record rates, and Stacey Abrams lied about all of it. Now she wants credit for the turnout while still saying that suppression is happening. Liars are going to lie. She does a lot of it. It's the Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back on the Guy Benson Show, GuyBensonShow.com, our website, podcast free every day when the show's over. Happy to welcome back to the airwaves U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, Republican of Iowa, author of the book Daughter of the Heartland. And, Senator, good to have you back on the show. Oh, Guy, it is always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much. I have to get your reaction to a soundbite that I opened the show with today. I kind of can't believe that it's real, but it is. Jim Clyburn, the third-ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives, went on MSNBC earlier. He was asked about inflation, and he admitted that all of the Democrats knew that their $2 trillion spending bill would fuel inflation when they voted for it. Cut 30. All of us knew this would be the case uh, when we put in place this recovery program. Anytime you put more money uh, into uh, the economy, uh, prices uh, tend to rise. When you inject a bunch of money into the economy, prices rise. All of us knew, he said, that's a quote, all of us knew this would be the case. And here we are, Senator, your response. 
Absolutely. And this just uh, goes on to further explain what I have been saying is that Democrats know exactly what they are doing. They are running this country into the ground. They know that these policies are hurting hardworking Americans. I don't care whether it's Iowa, New York, somewhere else. They are hurting our families intentionally, just as Congressman Clyburn admitted. They knew it was going to cause harm to our economy, to our families, and yet they did it anyway to drive this climate alarmist agenda. Meanwhile, this comes on the heels of something that the president said. I mean, again, I just have to take a step back and almost like, you know, check my eyes and ears. In the home stretch of a very important election, you had a top ranking Democratic leader admit that all, not some, all of the Democrats knew that their vote would be an inflationary vote. And you had the leader of their party a few days ago, President Biden, come out licking an ice cream cone while he said it, that the U.S. economy is, quote, strong as hell. Senator, when you talk to Iowans and you talk to voters, I know you're traveling to other states as well on behalf of various candidates. Do the American people, do voters really feel like the U.S. economy right now is strong as hell, as the president contends? Absolutely not. I'm telling you that, you know, I have been to a number of other states. I did a a child care roundtable with Chuck Grassley just earlier today. I was in Colorado with Joe O'Day. Uh, As we're hearing from a number of these various constituencies, they are hurting. Uh, Colorado and Nevada, I was in for Adam Laxalt as well. Those two states have some of the highest inflation in the United States, pushing up on 16 percent. And this is killing their families. As I said, folks are worried about putting food on their kitchen table. They are worried about putting gas in their vehicles to get to work. And the Democrats, they don't, they honest to God don't care. Just again, as you heard from uh, the good congressman there, they knew it was going to hurt American families and they did it anyway. So I don't know where President Biden and all of these Democrats across the United States, I don't know where they get off on getting into these policies that are so hurtful for Americans. And, you know, even uh, a senator that is on the Ag Committee a while back, I mean, she was laughing about the fact. She said, well, I laugh as I go by these gas stations and see those prices because I drive an electric yeah, vehicle. Stabbing out from Michigan. Well, yes, I wasn't going to say it, but you did. So, <laughs> you know, it's almost this elitist attitude that they are taking where they don't care. They're not impacted by the inflation as our hardworking American families are. So they tend to do these policies anyway when it's so hurtful uh, to Americans. I think they get the power, even if it's just by a hair. It's 50-50 Senate. They said, all right, we have just enough votes here, and let's go spend as much money as we possibly can and grow the scope and authority of government as much as we possibly can between those goals and abortion on demand through nine months. That is the entire raison d'etre of the Democratic Party these days, and that is what they have spent their time doing. And they don't care. We saw it with Obamacare, too. They didn't really care what the outcomes were. They didn't even care if they lost seats. As long as they could advance the ideological agenda and they had the votes to do it, they would twist arms and get it done, come what may, and we'll see what comes in November 
You just mentioned, Senator, your time in Colorado, your time in Nevada. I know you've been or are going to Ohio as well. As you encounter some of these Republican candidates, Laxalt, Nevada, O'Day, Colorado, Vance, Ohio, what do you make of those races, of those candidates, of their opponents? What's your general sense on the ground in those places? Yes, I've been in for all three, and I'll be heading out to Washington State as well to help uh, Tiffany Smiley. Um, But uh, what I am hearing from these incredible candidates, and especially as we're doing the get out the vote efforts or going out into their communities, they're being so well received because they have a common sense attitude that is for middle America and supporting the policies that are important to a Americans. You know, a check on the federal government, a check on Joe Biden and the Democrats. And so we're feeling really good about a number of these races that are out there. And you'll see it in the polls as well as they're tightening for these um, off-year midterm elections. So it's it's really good to see that these folks are working their tails off to make a difference for these states. And I hope the voters recognize that we need to move away from these ideological stances that the Democrats are taking that don't work for America, doesn't work for American energy, American jobs, and it certainly doesn't work for crime, the uh, border situation. Americans want real solutions. And that's what all of our candidates from Laxalt, O'Day, Smiley, Vance, um, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, Don Bulldog in New Hampshire, all of these great candidates across the board, this is what they're offering, reasonable solutions for Americans. Senator, I want to ask you about another race. I know you've commented on it. I know it's a tricky subject, but one that is personal to you. It's a House race in Indiana, toss-up race. There's a woman who seems very impressive named Jennifer Ruth Green, a Republican, a black Republican, actually, running for that seat in Indiana. And at some point in the last few weeks, some records leaked, some private records about her sexual assault while she was serving in the military ended up in Politico. And I know that Politico story generally painted her relatively favorably, I would say, but she was horrified that this leaked out. There are real questions about how that information was able to come into the possession of Politico. It doesn't look like it was just any sort of normal FOIA. There are people passing the buck around. It's unclear what happened, whether this was some sort of dirty trick, someone putting this out there to try to hurt her in some way. She sort of owned it. The way that she's handled it, I think, has been very classy. You've been outspoken on this issue yourself. As I said, it's personal to you. You put out a statement about this situation in, in Indiana. I'm just wondering if you could talk to us about your reaction and how you felt when you saw this happen to Jennifer Ruth Green. It it was like a just a punch to my gut what Jennifer has gone through and I have the great honor of knowing her, have um, been with her on numerous occasions. I think she is an incredible, incredible young leader within our Republican Party. And I, by golly, I want her to win. So when this information was put out um, through Politico, um, again, I was just sickened by it because it is nobody else's information to spread around just as fodder. Uh, for people to read. This 
this is very personal to me, whether it's sexual assault, whether it is domestic violence. As survivors, we should be the ones that are able to come forward with that information if we so choose. Yep. You know, and that is something that Jennifer did not want to bring forward. It was not relevant to her campaign. Um, again, she's an incredible leader. And the fact that this was done by whatever nefarious um, groups are that were out there trying to stir this up, and even shame on Politico for running with that story, because it, it didn't allow Jennifer to come forward and speak her mind on her own terms. And I think that if you want to honor survivors, you need to allow them to do it on their own terms. Mm. It was completely out of place. I think that's extremely well said, Senator. Let's turn to your state, the Hawkeye State. Some buzz this week about that famous poll, the Seltzer poll, is sort of the gold standard in your state, that shows Governor Reynolds way up, you know, coasting to reelection, it looks like. But your colleague in the Senate, Chuck Grassley, who's an institution, only ahead by three or four points over an opponent who really seems to be extremely flawed out there in Iowa. What do you make of that result? Is there anything that Chuck Grassley and his campaign should be worried about ahead of November 8th in the Hawkeye State? Yeah, this is great. So uh, the same poll, this exact same poll guy had me losing in 2020. So that should tell everybody out there that maybe this poll isn't as accurate because I won by over 7%, closer to 8 So I think that, you know, everybody should take these polls with a grain of salt. And I think that Chuck Grassley is going to come out with a strong performance uh, regardless of what this poll says. Uh, so he is working very hard. Iowans know that. He travels to all 99 counties every single year and hears from Iowans. And I think they're going to remember that when they go to the polls on November 8th. And you're right. He is running against an extremely flawed candidate that has extremely chauvinistic tendencies, as we saw. I know the report was unfounded, but his his former campaign manager, Michael Franken's former campaign manager, filed a police report against him for an unwanted kiss. Um, so, and we've heard, you know, other, and that was his again, own. Was hang on, that was his own campaign manager. His his campaign manager. This is not some Republican operative. This is his former campaign manager that filed a police report. Again, it was unfounded. It came to be unfounded, but. This is not some Republican scam out there. These are Democrats that have said, yeah, he does treat women a little differently uh, than he would treat men. And he's made comments about me as well, that, you know, when he defeats Chuck Grassley and he, when he goes to the United States Senate, he is not going to be the junior senator. Joni Ernst is going to follow me. Wow. What a chauvinistic attitude. And wow. I can't believe that women across Iowa would support somebody with that attitude that makes women out to be less than who they are. Speaking of women in politics and your actions out there and your timetable and schedule, which is packed, you're talking about all this traveling that you're doing to all these various states. Tell us about this weekend. I'm going to be down at the beach on the East Coast. You're going to be doing something a little different. What is the roast and ride? Tell us all about that. Oh. 
This is great. And, folks, you can go to roastandride.com to get more information. But this Saturday, October 22nd, is my annual fundraiser. And after, after being inhibited a few times a few years by COVID, we are back full force. So, again, an annual fundraiser, and this year's special guest is Sarah Huckabee Sanders from the great state of Arkansas, and she will join us and just really give a, a great inspirational speech to all of our great Republicans that are turning out for the event. So the way we have uh, focused this event, we do try and honor our veterans, and the proceeds from our ticket sales will go to the Corporal Dagan Page Foundation. He's a young Marine that is, has has this special significance to me. I'm very close to his family. I've known them just about my entire life. But this young Marine was born in southwest Iowa, and he was one of the 13 service members that were killed at the Abbey Gate during the withdrawal of our troops from Afghanistan. And so his family has set up a foundation that will help other veterans and their families. So again, the ticket proceeds will go to the Corporal Dagan Page Foundation. But we will also do a ruck march in the morning at the Iowa State Fairgrounds, uh, just a leisurely stroll to honor Dagan and his family. And then we go into a motorcycle ride. So I'm a motorcycle enthusiast. And I remember. So I'll lead, yes, I will <laughs> lead a group of motorcycle riders and again to honor uh, Corporal Dagan Page. And then we will have the hog roast at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. And again, a lot of great speakers from Governor Kim Reynolds, our phenomenal Republican governor, um, on to Chuck Grassley, again, great, great leader for our state, and all of the other Republicans that are on the ballot this year. We're just going to hear from a lot of them and, again, just be inspirational to Iowans and why we need to take control of the Senate and the House away from our Democratic leadership. But uh, we're going to have a great day. Again, it's roastandride.com, October 22nd, this Saturday, and our special guest will be Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So please visit the website, donate if you can. We would love to have your sponsorship. Um, but uh, really looking forward to the event. We're going to have great weather here in Iowa well, for that wonderful day. And it sounds like it's a great cause honoring one of our fallen and, and that chaotic day in Afghanistan and to keep his memory alive to do it the way that you're doing it. It also sounds like a lot of fun. Hogs and hogs, right? Roastandride.com seems like a great fun in Iowa this coming weekend. U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, a Republican from that state, my guest here on The Guy Benson Show. Senator, always appreciate it. We'll talk soon. You bet. Thanks, Guy. Guy Benson Show, back after this short break. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. It's The Guy Benson Show. Still to come, Larry Kudlow, Cat Timpf. Later on, on today's program, the Associated Press reporting this, the Biden White House is now saying that Iranian troops, quote, directly engaged on the ground in Ukraine, supporting Russian drone attacks against Ukraine. Specifically in Crimea, which the Russians illegally seized during the Obama administration. So we hear a lot about boots on the ground in Ukraine and Across the political spectrum, 
Americans don't want U.S. boots on the ground in Ukraine. But look at who the Russians are teaming up with and bringing in. Iranian troops, Iranian military operatives now directly assisting the Russians in killing Ukrainians. Number one, will this finally put an end to the amoral farce that is the Biden administration's Iran policy, where they've been begging the Iranians in these negotiations with a bunch of concessions to adopt a terrible nuclear deal? We've been negotiating through the Russians because the Iranians won't talk to us directly. Now the Iranians are in Crimea helping the Russians kill Ukrainians enough. It's insane. End the policy. That's number one. And number two, just in case anyone needs a reminder, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys in Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine? Iran coming in for the Russians is just a a little helpful signpost morally on that one. Another hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up. A crime story you need to hear next. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. It's a new hour. It's the Guy Benson Show from New York today. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast free when the show's over every day. So please do check that out if you can't listen live for all Three hours. Fox News alert. The Dow closing down today. It was up through much of the trading day, but finished in the red, down 90 points, closing out at 30,332. Earlier, I was on Outnumbered. I was hashtag one lucky guy on the couch. And we talked about a bunch of different topics, one of which was crime. And you might recall we talked about it here. There was a journalist who is particularly well-known and notorious among Republicans in D.C. at the Washington Post, who wrote a piece recently about how crime statistics are really kind of foggy and hard to pin down, and we have an incomplete picture right now, but yet there's a crime wave narrative from Fox News. It's tricking the country. That was basically the contention, that there isn't a provable crime wave in America, but Fox is convincing people that it is, that it exists. And it's driving the election. And I went through and gave example after example after example of city-level crime rates in multiple, like more than a dozen major American cities. Just open your eyes and look around and see what's happening. The idea that Fox is inventing this is crazy. It's embarrassing. And also, like, despite our reach and our power and our large audiences, we can't make things up out of whole cloth and convince a majority of the country that something's happening when it's not. Reality is reality. And crime is a problem for the Democrats, which is why you have journalists, basically in this case a Democrat with a press badge, racing out there to sort of pretend like, oh, it's, it's very complicated and who really knows and this is just a Fox thing. Well, there's a video out today of a uh, horrible beating on a bus in Washington, D.C. There is a shooting right outside Wyatt's apartment in D.C. over the weekend. 
one thing after another here in New York City. Just awful. And then there's this from San Francisco. And before I tell you this, in fact, there's there's a story that I shared on Outnumbered earlier that leads into this perfectly. When I came up to New York from D.C. on Tuesday, I had an early morning train, not that early, but I had to get up early to make it on time. I'm not a morning person. I needed a little jolt of uh, caffeine. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but sometimes desperate times, desperate measures. I got to Union Station in D.C. and I went to go get Starbucks. I know exactly where it is. I've done it before in some of these early trains. And I walked over there, and then I realized it's all boarded up. Oh, right, they closed. They were one of those franchises, the locations that Starbucks announced a few weeks ago, maybe months at this point, from the leadership that they had to close, not because they weren't doing well or were not profitable, but because there was too much crime. They were deemed unsafe to operate. They could not continue to do business as a Starbucks, inside the primary rail hub in the capital city of the United States of America. And it, even though I knew intellectually that that was happening and that they were going to close, just seeing it, I had forgotten. It just caught me off guard again. Think about that. There is one major train station in the capital city, of the most powerful country on earth. You want to commute by train, you go to that station. And it is considered so dangerous that Starbucks Corporation said we can no longer in good conscience send our employees in there and sell coffee. So that was Tuesday morning. Then I saw this story. A business owner, a small business owner out in San Francisco posted this on Facebook. Here's what he writes. His name is Davis Smith, founder and CEO at Kodo Paxi. He says, it's sad, but San Francisco appears to have descended into a city of chaos. Many streets and parks are overrun with drugs, criminals, and homelessness. And local leadership and law enforcement enable it through inaction. One of the most beautiful and amazing cities in the world is now a place where many no longer feel safe visiting or living. We opened a retail store a year ago on Hayes Street, a charming shopping district just blocks away from the famous Full House home. Our first week there in business, our windows were smashed and thousands of dollars of product was stolen. We replaced the window, and it immediately happened again, four times. We replaced the window with plywood as we waited a month plus to get a metal security gate installed, demand for those gates is creating huge delays. I mean, I think that speaks volumes, doesn't it? He writes, as of today, we are closing the store due to rampant organized theft and the lack of safety for our team. Our store is hit by organized theft rings several times per week. They brazenly enter the store, grab thousands of dollars of product, and walk out. We started keeping the door locked and opening it only for customers. But even then, they'd have a woman go up to the door, and then hiding individuals would rush into the store as soon as the door opened. Our team is terrified. They feel unsafe. Security guards don't help because the theft rings know security guards won't and can't stop them. 
It's impossible for a retail store to operate under these circumstances, especially when cities refuse to take any action, despite us paying taxes well above any other state we operate in. The city recently announced a reduction of police presence in this neighborhood, despite mass scale crime. Let me repeat that. The city of San Francisco recently announced a reduction of police presence in this neighborhood, despite rampant crime. This CEO, this business owner says this in conclusion. Excuse me. It makes me sad that I'm now avoiding San Francisco, a city I used to love. Last time my wife and I went there in 2020, a drugged up person ran up into my wife's face and started screaming some of the most obscene things I've ever heard. She was terrified. During a previous trip, my rental car was broken into and everything was stolen out of our trunk. When calling the police to report the theft, they let us know this happens hundreds of times per day in the city. And it was our own fault for parking on the street. He says, I grew up in Latin America, spent much of my adult life there, and I never felt this unsafe there. Something has to change in San Francisco. People who talk about justice and equity, this is on them. Their policies, their insanity has led to abject lawlessness in American cities. How is this just? What about the people who live in this neighborhood, the people who work at that store? Their jobs are gone now. Because they couldn't run a small storefront without getting ransacked on basically a daily basis. There are not enough metal gates to go around because of all the smashing and grabbing that's happening. The police, I guess the presence being reduced, demonized by a lot of the leadership in the city, defanged, declawed, unable to do anything. People on drugs, homeless people in the streets, defecating, screaming at people, terrifying people. Petty theft all over the place happening hundreds of times a day. And this is, I think, San Francisco. I don't know what else you would call it other than a bastion of progressivism. You want to see progressivism at its purest form? Go to San Francisco and look what's happening in that city. And the governor of that state out there, who was the mayor of San Francisco, Gavin Newsom, he has the audacity to pretend that this crime wave, which is a real problem, sorry, Washington Post, is somehow a red state problem, a Republican problem. What an insult. What an insult. And he wants to be president. Amazing. The Guy Benson Show continues. We'll go to the UK. Wow, that story's nuts. Next. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. So just a few months ago, I was in the UK broadcasting from London. In fact, I'll do that again next month. But we were at the London Bureau of Fox News, did a couple of shows. And one of those shows featured some conversation, an interview with my friend Tom Harwood, 
a political analyst and commentator over there, and I was asking him all about the next prime minister and the leadership race within the Tory party, the conservative party. And he said, and he was right, that it seemed like a woman named Liz Truss was likely to win. She would become the leader of the conservative party and therefore the prime minister of the country. And trying to right the ship after some scandals involving COVID parties and that sort of thing had taken down Boris Johnson. So that's precisely what happened. She met the queen days before the queen's death, and the queen died in the first week of Ms. Truss's tenure as prime minister, and that was just in early September. Here we are in mid to late October, and the Truss era is over. She's out. The parliamentary system is so bizarre. The fratricide that happens within coalition sometimes is extremely dramatic and chaotic. I definitely have to get an expert on to talk about all the reasons behind this collapse. She was prime minister for less than two months. It was 45 days. I think I read it's the shortest prime ministership ever in UK politics. 45 days is astounding. And part of it was she came in with this program, a lot of which I thought was a good idea. The way they started to implement it, the markets freaked out. Everyone started freaking out. And then they backed off and started abandoning their plans and running away from basic economics because they were spooked and were terrified of the polling. So I think they lost the center and they lost the right flank of the party. Everyone was furious. And then you started to see ministers and allies dropping like flies, throwing under the bus, writing these letters. This is how it goes. These gory political deaths in British politics. Just to see it happen so rapidly. Breathtaking. So last night, this was a local... Last night there was an evening news broadcast, ITV, British television, just giving a sense of how insane things were getting in Cut 24. It has been a night of astonishing scenes at Westminster with reports of jostling, manhandling, bullying and shouting outside the parliamentary lobbies in a supposed vote of confidence in the government. The deputy chief whip was reported to have left the scene saying, I'm absolutely effing furious, I just don't effing care anymore, before he resigned along with the chief whip. But we've just been told they have now officially unresigned. The Home Secretary has, however, definitely gone. In short, it is total, absolute, abject chaos. So the British Tories are definitely to my left ideologically. They're kind of a little too squishy on almost everything for my taste. But in my mind, they've had the advantage of two things. Number one, not being the Labour Party, left-wingers, especially under Jeremy Corbyn, this sort of anti-Semitic problem, the socialism, just awful. So the conservatives were a much better alternative to that. And then the other thing that I've always said is at least they have their act together. It often feels like our political parties are unable to actually get things done. And they're constantly infighting and all this stuff. But the Tories, say what you will about them, they were focused and kind of a responsible, mature party that knew how to win and then I've been watching the last few weeks and like, ooh, seems like that positive in the plus column is disintegrating before my very eyes. And lo and behold, earlier today, Prime Minister Liz Truss, less than two months into her tenure in that position, announced her resignation and stepping aside from that post in Cut 22.
I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent, and our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. Wow. I mean, we hardly knew you, Liz. And what bothered me about this whole situation, and I don't know the nuance behind it, the fact that they were running away terrified, the so-called conservatives in the UK, of minor tax cuts, bringing certain tax rates down just a hair to levels, my understanding is that they had been previously under labor governments. They were like, oh, no, there were some conservatives saying, no, we have to now raise taxes. We didn't mean it. We didn't mean it. What is the point of you? If you're a tax hiking or refusing to cut taxes party and you're the conservatives and the knives are out stabbing each other over this stuff, what is the point of you? Just an astonishing fall from grace. I saw a book just came out about her like, oh, the new prime minister, it's already obsolete. So now what? The previous leadership contest took place over a period of many weeks. They winnowed down the field, and eventually it was a two-person race, and Liz Truss won. Apparently, they want to get this show on the road much faster this time, so they're saying within two weeks they'll have a new prime minister. So they'll have a few people, any number of folks, standing within the party for the leadership contest, and they will go through the process. They'll have an election under their strange rules, On an accelerated, very accelerated timeline, they're saying within, what, 10, 14 days, their plan is to have a new prime minister. Who might that be? Well, the guy who finished second to her is a guy called Rishi Sunak, who served under Boris. I think it's very likely that he'll be there saying, hey, I was the alternative last time. Second look, we need someone else, and I came in second place. Another option I've heard about is a woman named Penny Mordaunt, if I'm saying her name correctly. Fairly well-known within the party. She stood in the leadership contest last time and didn't make it. And then there's the rumor that Boris Johnson wants back in. He's like, look, I had a few little scandals about parties that we held during COVID. Some of my staff, we were not in these desperate straits. I've beaten the Labor Party. I've won a national election. I want to be back in there. Number 10 Downing Street, send me back. And he might go for it. That's the rumor, at least. That could be very interesting. But at least for now in the polling, the Tories have bottomed out. They're in total chaos. And now their new prime minister that we were just getting to, like, know her name, she has been defenestrated by the process. So our great allies in the special relationship will have yet another leader very soon, the third prime minister this year. And who knows? Will this person be the last? We'll find out together. And we'll follow it on The Guy Benson Show back after this with Larry Kudlow.
Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Halfway through today's program. Glad to have you here. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. The podcast is always free of charge. Joining me here in studio is Larry Kudlow, host of Fox Business Network's Kudlow, which reigns supreme, is my understanding. He's the king of FBN, 4 p.m. daily. Also former director of the National Economic Council under President Trump. And, Larry, I was just on your show earlier in the week, and now you're returning the favor on the radio side. It's great to see you. Great to see you. Thank you for having me. Have you heard this clip from James Clyburn yet? It's going viral. I don't know if you've heard it. Just wait. So he was on MSNBC today. This is the third-ranking Democrat in the House. And he was asked by the anchor about inflation and all the spending the Democrats did, including on that $2 trillion package right at the start of the Biden administration. And Clyburn, well, just listen, cut 28. All of us are concerned about these rising costs. And all of us knew this would be the case uh, when we put in place this recovery program. Anytime you put more money uh, into uh, the economy, uh, prices uh, he said we all knew this thing was going to cause inflation, and they all voted for it. He just said that. <laughs> that is the most duplicitous, fraudulent statement I have ever heard. That's incredible. See, you know, Guy, look, you're the political expert. I'm not. But you see these Democrats now running for the hills. Uh, where did I see somebody said – um, a big uh, uh, teachers' union Democrat is now coming out in favor of school choice. Yeah, it's Pritzker. Like is it, well, that's Governor Pritzker it in okay. Illinois, all of a sudden he's like, wait a second, the election's in 19 yeah. days, maybe school choice I do like after all. Yeah, I mean you're hearing this stuff. So now Clyburn, we all knew. You all knew what? You argued – Larry Summers in the Democratic Party knew. So did my pal Jason Furman. The rest of them – they denied inflation. You recall as well as anybody. Then it was temporary and transitory. Then it was zero. Now it's still eight or nine or 10 percent. Come on. Here's the thing. This won't work. This will not work. The voters have made up their minds. The polls of likely voters are showing it. The wave is moving. As I say, the cavalry is coming. The GOP is going to do very well because the Democrats and particularly now you hear these uh, run for the hills type statements. They cannot be trusted. The Democrats cannot be trusted. I think that's going to be a big issue, too. Mark Warner basically admitted that the rescue, quote unquote, plan was way too expensive. He voted for it. This one, to me, this soundbite's worse. Clyburn saying, oh, yeah, we, we knew this was going to cause prices to rise. It's like, OK, if you knew that, you shouldn't have denied it and you shouldn't have voted the way that you did. I don't know. You don't get any credit. For, uh, you know, a year and a half later, admitting something that is undeniable, I just think it's so damning. He said we all knew. That is not just a thing about him. That's every single Democrat in Congress. We all knew and they did it anyway. And now inflation is what it is. You know, I, I, I mean, I think it will backfire heavily, these kinds of statements as they're picked up. And they didn't all know because they all, uh, you know, they had to scratch every left wing Democratic spending itch in that bill. And they did. And they based it on the false premise that we were in a bad recession. Remember that? And the reality is when Biden was inaugurated, the economy in the first quarter was growing at six and a half percent. We had a V-shaped recovery from the worst of no, he, what he inherited was was good. excellent. Six and a half percent growth. It's fantastic. 
And they denied that. The same time they denied that the shelves were bare on the vaccines. Remember that? All a bunch of lies, really. So now the chickens come home to roost. All these progressive uh, big government socialist policies have generated a terrible, sticky inflation, which, by the way, come Election Day, November 9th, whenever, you got yourself a big inflation problem, but you're going to have yourself a recession problem. We're in a recession. We're going to all these CEOs you may have seen on the FBN website today. Everybody. I mean, the CEOs are Democrats, but they're talking about recession. So this is uh, a very bad. Look, the good news is the cavalry is coming and they can stop the bad stuff. The difficult news, and I think we talked about this on our show with you uh, Monday, um, it will be a real challenge, however, to get past Biden vetoes to really oh. improve economic policy. Oh, that's policy. not going to happen. With him there with the veto pen, yeah. th- that's not happening. You can, you can slow down the bad. You cannot really enact the good. You need a Republican president to do that, and obviously Biden is anything but that. But I'd, I'd rather have a break in one or both houses than what we have now, which well, is this runaway train. Well, that's right. The, the key, a key theme is putting a check on the runaway train, as you put it. And I think that will come. I think that will be very important. Uh, I've been interviewing all these people um, from Kevin McCarthy on down, lots of senators, candidates, uh, sitting senators. And they, they have a good – the GOP has a pretty good united position, uh, at least on the economic matters – um, coming out of this commitment to America, I don't think people, you know, the commitment to America may or may not resonate nationwide, but it's their blueprint for when they get in January 3rd. And um, they will stop the bad stuff and they'll try to do some good stuff. But this is so duplicitous by these Democrats all of a sudden at the last hour, the 11th hour, to try and cut and run from damaging policies that they themselves yeah, they voted put for in. No, sorry, like you did it. You can say, oh, we all knew it would be bad and this happened and this is what's going to happen. Well, you did it. So congratulations. There's some duplicity that you just mentioned. Then there is abject cluelessness and tone deafness. I know you've flogged this on your show. I want to talk about it basically through Election Day. The president eating his ice cream cone, calling the economy strong as hell. What goes through his brain to cause him to say that out loud when so many Americans obviously are feeling very differently? Well, you know, that's a good question. What makes Joe Biden tick? I mean, it's a very good question. It's He's, too much to put on you. I was gonna say, it's too much to do in a one hour to our radio show. <laughs> but I have some good shrinks he could talk to here in New York. But um you know, he. I think he's living in an alternative universe. I think that's always been one of the problems. And I think whatever the bullets that his senior staff is handing to him, uh, he has a very injudicious reading of them. He doesn't see that they're out of touch with reality. This is another example. Listen, yesterday when he's announcing this uh, strategic petroleum reserve, which I call the strategic political reserve, he actually said the problem here is the oil companies aren't producing. Okay, he said that. Mm-hmm. And then he said they're sleeping. So it's like, wait a second, your policies, which have waged heavy war against fossil fuels for two years, have nothing to do with it. The fact that you won't lease, you won't permit, you won't refine. Just to jump in, let's listen to cut 14. This was part of those remarks. We need to responsibly increase American oil production without delaying or deferring our transition to clean energy. Let me uh, let's debunk some myths here. My administration is not stopped or slowed U.S. oil production. 
And of course they have. And in fact, he promised they would. This was an RNC video that they put right out saying, hey, remember this? This was from the campaign 15. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill. Great. Yeah, I mean, it's just right there. Peter Ducey asked this question. Great Queen Jean-Pierre. Yesterday. Can I use that on my TV? Please, show? yeah, that's go. a terrific bite. Yeah, it's from the it's from the RNC research Twitter feed. They put it right out. Rapid response. We're like, I mean, kind of dead to rights there. Peter Ducey asked the White House, "How can you say this about the oil industry when, in fact, you're trying to put them out of business?" And she was playing dumb, like, "What are you talking about?" Well, this was the campaign pledge that they made. To do By the that. way, just uh, I hate to bring in facts or empirics, but pre-COVID, we were doing 13.1 million barrels a day. As of the latest reading from the Energy Information Agency, we're doing 11.8 million barrels. And that's in a period of higher prices. So it isn't that they don't want to produce. We have the greatest, most efficient oil companies in the world. These guys are aces. And And way cleaner than other places that we're bagging. We produce the cleanest oil and natural gas. And um, they would love to take advantage of higher prices. And if Biden had let them, Guy... They would have put more oil on the market. The prices would have equilibrated lower. They would have come down so we wouldn't have had this spike, you know, to first 120 and then $100. Gasoline would be back at $2.25, So, But again, it's so odd that the president will make these statements when everyone else in that room and his staff knows full well they're wrong. And, of course, the media and the social media pick it up right away. These are losing Tactics, not winning tactics. They're losing tactics. They're going to help the GOP finish with a surge in November. I think it's not just the president who's out of touch. His chief of staff is constantly all day on Twitter sort of retweeting triumphalist stuff that is just divorced Hmm. from reality. You call the strategic petroleum reserve, the strategic political reserve. He's draining that thing, obviously for political reasons. I think, number one, that is scandalous to me. It's supposed to be for emergencies, not mm-hmm. political emergencies, bona fide national emergencies, war, uh, you know, right. uh, acts of God, that kind of thing. The Republicans and the Trump administration, you can talk about this. You guys tried to refill it. At $20 a barrel. And the and Democrats. Chuck Schumer and Pelosi stopped us. They blocked it. They blocked it. And they can bragged you, about it. Can you imagine that? I can, actually. We could have. <laughs> they did it. We could have put, uh, really, another 100 million barrels in there. To get it to full strength, uh, which I think is about 730, 740 million barrels. Now it's down to 400 million barrels. Your point on the national security, look, you got to go back. I was around in these days. The reason for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in the first place was twofold. Number one, for national disasters, hurricanes, and so But primarily, it was because of the Arab oil embargo over the Israeli war in 1973. They cut off our oil. And that embargo lasted, now not 100%, but lasted gradually for the next five or six years. Mm -hmm. So between oil price controls and the Arab oil embargo, we did not have SPRO in those days. SPRO was just starting out. You remember the long lines and gasoline stations. Now, I'm not saying that the Saudis will launch an oil embargo, but you had a mini one. There's no reason for them to cut 2 million barrels a day in this world market. They did it. A, they're sick and tired of being insulted by Joe Biden. And B, they want to keep oil at $100 a barrel for their own budgets. And we, who used to be the swing producer and the nominate producer, we're powerless to do it because we're stuck under 12 million barrels well, a day. We gave up our, leg- our leverage. Our leverage. We had it. 
we voluntarily gave it up for political reasons, and now they're doing all this other political nonsense to cover up the political problem that they've created for themselves. So all companies are sleeping. You don't understand, Guy. <laughs> uh, my, pal, my pal Mike Worth runs Chevron, Darren Wood. They're sleeping. These are some of the best CEOs, most efficient companies in the world. And Biden says, at least he wasn't licking an ice cream cone when he said it. They're sleeping. No, Joe, you're sleeping. Think of that. Larry Kudlow, host of Kudlow on <laughs> FBN every day, 4 p.m. Eastern time. He was the director of the National Economic Council uh, under President Trump. We talked about that, and we often do here. Larry, it's great to see you in person. Thanks for stopping Thanks, by. Man. Anytime, by Guy. Thanks. So we much. will step aside. We will come right back after this short break on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Back on The Guy Benson Show in New York City. Thanks for listening. Let's talk Pennsylvania. President Biden there today campaigning for John Fetterman. And the ticket there in Pennsylvania, I guess they've decided that he might be an asset or maybe they're just getting desperate. I don't know. There's a brand new poll out today. Insider advantage. Fetterman, Oz, exactly tied. 46-46, I believe, is the number. 47-47. Tied right on the dot. You think about the polling misses in Pennsylvania recently. I think Dr. Oz is in a pretty good position. He's got to sprint through the tape. This debate next week on the 25th is going to be very interesting and potentially decisive. That is rare these days, how a debate plays. I think the Pennsylvania debate next week in the Senate race is going to be huge. But Oz has the momentum, and I guess they're trying to blunt the momentum in the Fetterman camp. They can't really do it with their own candidate. So they're bringing in Joe Biden, who is unpopular in the state of Pennsylvania, to try to prop up this guy who's a radical, who's also a deadbeat, hypocrite loser. I don't like to be ad hominem on this show, but John Fetterman is those things. And we have gone through and explained why. I'm not just throwing that out there. I don't say that just because he's a Democrat. There are plenty of Democrats who I would vote against and don't approve of and disagree with on almost everything who are nevertheless interesting, successful people. Fetterman is not a successful person. And the fact that he is in a dogfight to win a Senate seat, to me, is just disturbing. Never been a huge Oz guy, but to me, there's not even close to a choice here, in my mind. Here's the latest, the Washington Free Beacon. They've been doing some great work. They nailed Raphael Warnock down in Georgia on the eviction story, which he's falsely denying and lying about. His church kicking indigent, mentally ill people out or serving eviction notices during the pandemic from the church-owned building. While the slick, rich pastor, Warnock, gets $7,500 a month for his housing allowance. So the Free Beacon broke that story. They also have this. And they're following up, in this case, on a CNN story. So kudos to CNN for covering this. Listen, Democratic Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman last week said he has always been a supporter of the fracking industry, a statement that contradicts past comments that had disavowed the practice. So in that now infamous NBC interview where the journalist dared to tell the truth about Fetterman and some of his auditory processing shortcomings, and the candidate's wife was demanding an apology, right, like a retraction and an apology. 
for the sin of journalism against a Democrat. We can't have that. But in that interview, Fetterman said this, quote, I support fracking. I've always supported it. Oh, really? In 2018, in a YouTube interview, Fetterman said exactly the opposite. This was the clip that CNN found. Quote, I don't support fracking at all, and I never have. (laughs) I've signed the no fossil fuels money pledge. Just think about that. 2022, right now, trying to run statewide in the state of Pennsylvania with an energy crisis happening. Fetterman says, I support fracking, and I've always supported it. Four years ago, the true radical John Fetterman said what he actually believes on tape, I don't support fracking at all, and I never have. These are diametrically opposed statements. There's no wiggle room. There's no nuance. He said today or just recently, I've always supported fracking, and he said four years ago the truth about what his true position is. I don't support fracking at all, and I never have. Just black and white. So that's John Fetterman. I saw Tom Cotton was on Fox News at one of these town halls that Sean Hannity had last night. He had a pretty good line about the Fetterman-Oz race. Cut 20. If you want to keep murderers in prison and you want to keep John Fetterman on his parents' allowance, go to DrOz.com and check it out. It's a pretty good ad. Meanwhile, Fetterman has Biden in town for him, and the president just a few hours ago said this, cut 29. Zell, you're going you're gonna to be a great, uh, a great lady in the Senate. A great lady in the Senate, Biden said, talking about Giselle Fetterman, the wife of the candidate, who Rolling Stone called the de facto candidate in the race. And then they sort of backtracked because that was hurting one of the other narratives. They can't keep it straight. Does Biden know that she's not the candidate and that John is the candidate? Called her a great lady. She'd be a great lady in the Senate. Okay. Hmm. Perhaps the president is confused. I think there's a lot of confusion on that stage, given who's up there. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show is coming up next. Cat Timp joining us in studio. It's not Fridays with Cat. It's Thursday with Cat, but that's okay. We'll take what we can get here in New York City, and that's straight ahead. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Time for the happy hour on this Thursday on The Guy Benson Show from New York City. Thank you for tuning in, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast always free every day on demand when the show is over about an hour from now or so. GuyBensonShow.com, at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, our friends over there. So delicious. Absolutely scrumptious beverage. And we encourage you to try it if you haven't already, if you're 21 plus only. So please drink responsibly. TheLongDrink.com is their website. All the places you can buy it near you, they're expanding. TheLongDrink.com. Well, here with me in studio is our friend and colleague, Kat Tim, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld at 11 p.m. every weekday on Fox News Channel. I was just on last night. Co-host of Tyrus and Tim, the podcast at FoxNewsPodcasts.com. Hello, Kat. Why, hello. 
Last night was fun. It was a great time. You guys do that every night. Like, I get to come up and maybe do it every three or four weeks. Right. And I leave, and I usually feel like I'm on this high. Like, oh, that was so fun. And yeah. the audience and the energy in the room and the laughter, doing it every single day has to be, like, a privilege and something that's enjoyable, but also a grind. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's both. I mean, I, lo- I absolutely love doing it every day, but it's crazy because, you know, you get all dressed up. You have all that energy of the audience. Uh, you're so excited, and then, like, I just go home and sit on my couch. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, man. Yeah, I had a friend texting me, like, hey, you're in the city. You want to get a drink last night? I was like, no. <laughs> like, no offense to you. I just want to be in my hotel room and rest my brain. Yeah, I usually need a little time to decompress. Oh, I totally agree. Now, last night, one of our topics was Meghan Markle. Yes. And I want to talk about this. She has a podcast, which I had forgotten about. <sighs> I think a lot of people had forgotten about it. Yeah. And it's just the grievance whining train from this woman. Yeah. Endlessly. Endless. Truly endless. Without end. Here's the soundbite from her that we played on Greg's show. If people missed it, here it is. Cut 27. I ended up quitting the show. Like I said, I was thankful for the job, but not for how it made me feel, which was not smart. And I would end up leaving with this pit in my stomach, knowing that I was so much more than what was being objectified on the stage. I didn't like feeling forced to be all looks and little substance. And that's how it felt for me at the time, being reduced to this specific archetype. So there's nothing authentic or organic about that. That was clearly read from a script. Yeah. Right? That was not her having fun, giving us her deep thoughts off the top of her head. This was written down read with the inflection that she wanted, right. complaining for context about her time as one of the suitcase girls or briefcase yeah. girls on Deal or No Deal, which I watched religiously in college with my roommates, by the way, because it was fun. It was a fun, stupid it, show. That's your idea of fun. Fun, stupid Sitting show. on the couch watching Deal or No Deal. Yeah, we would have a few beers. Thankfully, your husband is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> he He's <is>. a great time. <laughs> well, and we're going to get to fun in a moment, cat tip. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. I am fun. I okay. enjoy. <laughs> I both enjoy and have fun. <laughs> that was the Onion piece by Hillary Clinton yeah. in 2016. But there is nothing compelling or authentic no. about what we just heard there. And what annoyed me, and I made this point on the air last night, was she says, I didn't like feeling forced to be all looks and little substance. Forced. Number one, humble brag, right? Like, yeah. oh, I'm just I'm so, so hot. Yeah, she's, I'm so, I, I'm, I am so hot that it was really hard for people to see that I'm also a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I, too, hate being objectified on the outnumbered couch. It's like that she went into it. She was like, and we had to line up and get hair extensions and lashes. And I'm like, should I be crying more than <laughs> like, because I really thought, if anything, I maybe a little less. I, I'm okay. And she's 25 years old. That's like the, her, one of her starter jobs. Yeah. And I think about my life at 25. I you was watching watch my mom die. That wasn't fun. Uh, she died like a week today after my twenty sixth birthday. So that was going on then. I lived in an apartment full of rodents in a horrible neighborhood. Like you know, those, I wish were those pets or no, unwelcome. they were uninvited. Okay. Yeah, uh, I they infiltrated. I wish that my biggest problem was that like my job at as a case girl on Deal or No Deal that was not cased my hotness. Right, right, that too much. People were focusing too much on how hot I was and not my other 
even more impressive attribute of stone-cold brilliance. (laughs) I mean, it's just she's lived such a charmed life overall compared to what, I don't know, almost everyone will ever realize. To be like, no thank you, Castle. No thank you, literal royalty. I'm going to instead go make millions and millions of dollars for my job as a professional complainer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very lucrative for her. Yeah, a lot of people who have had real problems who have to complain on their own time uh, for free are like, they're not going to feel any sympathy for her. It's exhausting. And the word forced. No forced. one showed up with a handgun no. and like shuffled her and if there to was, the studio. If there was, I apologize. I will apologize to Megan if it comes out yes. that there was somebody who held a gun to coerced. her as she was walking through her hair and makeup. Right. She was being pushed well, she also with had a to, gun. She had to audition for the job. Correct. Right. Was she coerced into that? Was she right. backstage just sobbing to herself before she had to put on a fake smile yeah. and go open a briefcase? Yeah. Do you notice that nowhere in your interview process were they like, what would you do about the Middle East, you know, like they, they want like th- right the substance. Pretty, they open yeah. the briefcase and you have like policy papers. They probably don't even make you actually open it as part of the audition because that's pretty easy. That's something everyone can do. All right, no it's, one can really screw that up. No, it's only are you hot enough for this job? Yeah, it could not be more clear. Which she knew. She knew. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. And I said because I, I wrestled with this. She's not a stupid person. No, she went to Northwestern. My alma mater, so I have to go sort cats. of go cats. Okay. I have to kind of. That it, that's why I said I said it on the air, and Greg looked at me like, "What the hell are you I talking learned. about?" But what annoys me more is not that she's a dumb bimbo, but she thinks all of us are. That's the she's thing. She's like these dumb bimbos will probably lap this stuff up and feel bad right. for me, and she's like, "Oh, she looks around at the game show where she's in the skimpy dress with all the other women that tried out for this exact job." And she's like, why, this is this is humiliating. This is demeaning. I did not expect this. Yeah. And then she marries into the British royal family and looks around supposedly and says, well, there's all these expectations and scrutiny. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be here. I did not so understand. I didn't know like, that you had to treat the queen B- a special way. S- B.S. <laughs> yeah. You are totally. not that self-unaware. And no one feels bad for you no. on any of this stuff. Well, maybe one person. Producer Christine is really? a big Meghan Markle fan. Ew. She's a big Nickelback fan and Meghan Markle, so there's a there's a thread here. Christine, defend yourself. So what I'm going to say is I think you guys are missing the point of what she was trying to say. She was trying to say she is more than that. She is good looking, but she is more than that. You know she's a smart person. She went to your college. I think she was trying to tell other women, and especially maybe young women, be more than that. Don't don't get settled into this job maybe because you need the money. What if they want to? What if some women just want to be hot for a living? I mean, don't we all? <laughs> that's what it's I just that's what I'm doing. Including her. Yeah. She's hot for a living. <laughs> if she were less hot, she would not be on Deal or No Deal. Yeah, but, she would not be on Suits. She would not have Harry as her boyfriend than husband. But the, no, she changed. That was the whole thing. That's what attracted yeah. Harry and to now her. now she's just such a dog, right? Yeah. Like, now she never puts any effort into her appearance. And like, I always think about all her uh, cerebral substantive con, you know, contributions. The way she sees herself, too. What drove me even more insane was the first episode of the podcast where it was like, ambitious women. And people have a problem with me because I'm so ambitious. I'm like, how long did it actually take you to get this one single first episode of this podcast out quite a while <laughs> quite you know I, I i don't know if ambitious is the first word i would use to describe you <laughs> <laughs> 
Can we move on from Meghan Markle, or do you have more to say, Christine? Do you want to defend her even more? I just, you guys are all a bunch of haters out there. I love me some Meghan, and I really love me some Harry. I miss when he was a fun party boy. Oh, I mean, that was like those party. Good he days. was the party, bad boy, party boy prince. Yeah, that's that's, he's good looking. And you're like, how can he be such a bad boy? His hair's red, but he was. And now he's just sort of in this little cage, partially yeah. created by her, I think. Ugh. Yeah. I think we can get Christine defending Meghan Markle and then put a bed of nickel back underneath it. Yeah. And that is just, it's exemplifying of what Christine contributes. Cat, come on. Any Nickelback songs that you may like to listen to? Once no, in a while? but if I had to go to a deserted <laughs> island with Nickelback or Meghan Markle, I definitely would pick Nickelback. There you go. I won. I mean, Why? How do you win? No, you like both of them. Because you're like, I'd like to go with both. <laughs> I would like to attend a Nickelback concert with Meghan Markle. <laughs> it seems no to else. me that Kat really enjoys some Nickelback. No, Thank you. No, no, no. Uh, so you moments ago insinuated, Cat Timp, that I... I'm not fun. Unlike <laughs> You're my, just no Adam. That's all. Oh, Adam is fun. <laughs> You're no Adam. Adam is fun. Adam is funny. These are very yeah, good reasons yeah, I married yeah. him. Uh, I think I, too, am fun. And one of the most fun things okay. that I like to do is to host a good Make party. Make a charcuterie board. <laughs> well, actually, yes. Actually, yes. Because it, it looks and tastes delicious. Okay. Right? You eat with your eyes first. Anyway. So we're doing a big Christmas party. Uh-huh. I know that you are coming. A few other friends are coming. I heard I have permission to stay in your home. You do from Adam. Yeah. The fun exactly. one. We're just like, yeah, she can stay. Yeah. I, like, uh. I would like to hear that conversation. Like, well, because oh, no, I've no. already shared quarters with her once recently, <laughs> and we talked about how that went in Greece. <laughs> but we will, at some point in a future conversation, get to the Christmas party. The reason I mention it is to not only defend myself as fun, but to also say that what I'm really bummed about is I can't make your Halloween party I that know. you're hosting. I know. And I can only imagine the blank show that that must be. Oh, it's amazing. What makes a good Halloween party, Cat Tim? Uh, fun. Fun people. People who I, – I like to dress up for Halloween. You have to. This Halloween party slash my birthday party, you, you can't come in and not be in a costume. Oh, it's required. Yeah. It says on the invite, costumes required, which, by the way, I didn't send the invite to you. I sent it to Adam. Yeah, no, that was a smart move. Smart move. I'm like, Halloween and party? No, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't, like, people take costumes seriously. I love Halloween. Do you have your costume already planned oh, yeah. for this year? Mm-hmm. Can you reveal or is that a should secret? Should I? I don't know. Should I just reveal it? I, I think will. you should. Because we're all doing, Because like, last year it was, I will say, last year your group costume it's a was group costume. legitimately impressive. I'm often underwhelmed by people's costumes. That last year where you were... I was... Nancy yeah. Kerrigan. No, Keith was Nancy Kerrigan in full dress. Yeah, you were Tanya, Tanya Harding, Harding yes. And then your husband, Cam, was yeah, yeah, the guy like who, whacked her. with the lead pipe. Excellent work. Yes. So, like, A+. plus. This year, you have to somehow top that. Let's unveil the answer. Halloween 2022, Cat Timf and Company, right after this break on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson here with Kat Timp. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. Right before the break, Kat was debating if she was going to tell us what her Halloween costume is. She's decided, yes, she will. You will now reveal to, yeah, the, to the world. We're doing 27 Club. So people who all died at 27. So it's a big, yes. <gasps> so I am Kurt Cobain, obviously. Uh, wow. And Cam agreed to be Janis Joplin as long as we call him James Joplin the whole night. James Joplin. Because he's, he's a man. Uh, Keith is going to be Amy Winehouse. Mm. Uh, Kennedy's going to be Jim Morrison. And uh, Keith's boyfriend's going to be Jimi Hendrix. 
Wow, I, I am processing this. Mm-hmm. 27 Club, people who died at the age of 27, it's a little morbid. Right? Hello, it's a, it's I a, threw my own funeral for my 30th birthday. That is literally with I a made coffin. my father give me a eulogy. <laughs> yeah, that it did happen. It's a bit macabre. It's also Halloween. Yeah. That's why I can get away with these things. But speaking of getting away with these things, do you think I'll be canceled? Well, I'm going to do this, So, but it just it depends if anybody knows I'm going to do it or not. Well, uh, our many <laughs> listeners now know. Well, you know what I mean? Like people, this is, so maybe they won't know if people I really ended matter. up doing it. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I have, you know, my cat needs a lot of medicine. Cheens. Cheens. Yeah. I have these little liquid, they don't have needles in them, syringes that I put use pet medicine to put in his mouth. I plan on carrying one of those with me all night because I'm a heroin addict. My, oh, for my your, character. Your costume. Yes. Wow. Um, Is that insensitive? Well, and do I care? <laughs> there may I, be two different answers to those right, questions. I, I'm going to do it. It's just like if I post it, people are like, that's bad. He died of heroin. And it's like, like did, did I do that? He also didn't die of heroin. Well, that's a long story. I, I did a whole book report when I was little, a research presentation about how he didn't really kill himself. Oh. When I was, like, in school. How old were the you? Teacher, I, yeah, I was, like, young. And the teacher was, like, okay, up next. Uh, <laughs> like Katie's going to tell us about horses. <laughs> <laughs> Do you dress your animals up? So, yeah, we have – well, I mean, the animals have a lot of clothes, especially Carl. Carl loves wearing clothes. Uh, does he? Yes, he does. He'll bring outfits to us. He, like, likes – he's, like, I look good. He You're enjoys talking. wearing this clothes. This is a French bulldog. Carl, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Carl. And Cheens hates wearing costumes, but Cheens has been a lion. Cheens has been a spider. Cheens has a Christmas sweater, but it, it's hard to get a costume on a feral cat. <laughs> I didn't realize Cheens was feral. I oh, thought, he's completely feral. He's domesticated. I mean, he's from the streets. There's only so much, you know, you can take this cat out of the streets, but you can't take the streets out of the cat, really. That's exactly he, right. But he bites Just people. like you. He just bit Dagan the other day. Did he really? Yeah, but I'm like, if you want to say hi, make sure that I'm in the room because... He trusts me, and he's like, she won't let anything bad happen to me. But if it's somebody else, if I'm not there, and you go pet Jeans, he will bite you. So Dagan McDowell was bitten by yeah. your cat, having met Jeans any number yeah, of times. Yeah, well, he'll, he'll, he'll let you pet him. He'll be cool with it, and all of a sudden, he just turns on you. Did he draw blood? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we just had Dagan in this chair yesterday, and I'm distressed. She didn't mention this. Yeah. Maybe she wasn't too traumatized by it. No, yeah. So I'm... is the big Halloween party... At your place, or is it going to be off it's at, at a, a venue? It's at a rooftop. Oh, that sounds so fun! I it's wish it's going to be really fun. What are you doing? Handing out candy in your pajamas and your loafers and your slippers? <laughs> Actually, I—that's a good look. In your house loafers? <laughs> yes. You have house loafers? Oh, absolutely. I knew it. Yeah, it's of like course. My, it's my if uniform. there was ever a man with house loafers, I knew it. I knew it. Just, I think isn't Halloween on a Monday this year? Am I wrong about that? It, I mean, it's it's on the Friday before. Stand by. I'm just saying in terms of handing out candy, it would be the Monday. No, we have friends. We're going to a shore house a shore for house. that weekend. It's cold. Yeah, we're not going to go into the – but there's a hot tub. There's some good restaurants. There's, there's board, restaurants everywhere. There's board games. Board – yeah. You get to look at the water. It's All nice. Right. Yeah. And it's a little spooky, so, like spooky no. season in the woods. Ooh. Oh, man. No. I'm just trying to think of, like, if there's a way I could do – like, if I can find out where it is, I can, like – Show up and send terrorize a, Send us. a haunt. Yeah, I, I know I'm going to be busy, but I can send someone else. <laughs> pay someone else. To do the haunt. Pay someone else yeah. to bother us. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, now I'm not going to be scared because I know yeah. who the culprit is unless you don't do unless it. Unless I don't do it. And then won't you feel bad if I get murdered in the woods because I didn't take the threat seriously because of you? You know what? Then you would have to be me for Halloween because I would uh-huh. also be dead at 27. <laughs> oh. Huh? Yeah, that's, there you go. And let's go with that. They'll go with that. I'm feeling 27. Yeah. yeah. And Cam... Is which James Joplin. James well, Joplin. Ja- Janis Joplin didn't really wear women's clothes. Like hippies all dressed kind of the same. Oh, that is true. Yeah.
So I got a wig. And did like, he choose this one or did you first oh, he this? Did he choose it? <laughs> Does he choose Does he anything? Choose it? He doesn't want to. He's not. He, he, you think he could come up with a creative, fun idea? This was my idea. Mm-hmm. This whole thing. No, that checks out. Yeah. Well, now I'm having FOMO in advance. You should. For this party. Ugh. It's going to be great. Oh, it is. We'll have to have you back for like a post report where you can just like rub it in my face how fun it was. And I'll mm-hmm. be like, well, the woods were fun. The water the was woods. pretty. The a hot nice, tub calm, was warm. relaxing weekend <laughs> in the woods. I don't know if I'll be doing that ever. Well, I will text you some photos of me and my PJs and my house lovers. House lovers. And we'll see if you're a little jelly. How about that? Uh, we got to go. Like, this thing has just flown by. Cat Timp, it's every night at Gutfeld, 11 p.m. Eastern, Fox News Channel. Tyrus and Timp is a podcast, foxnewspodcast.com. It's great to see you. You never said you're pro or, or anti-syringe. It's not, it's not a needle. I, I think it's a little insensitive, and I also think, to answer your second question, no, you don't care. Okay. Am I correct? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm going to do it, but... So, I'm correct. Once again, Christine, just just for the record, let the record reflect your honor. we got to go. Guy Benson Show, back after this. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Back here on the Guy Benson Show. Happy hour. Thank you very much for tuning in. In our first hour today, Senator Joni Ernst, Republican of Iowa, she joined us here. Lots of topics to get to with her about her home state and the world. We really bounced around a lot. Here's part of that discussion. Senator, when you talk to Iowans and you talk to voters, I know you're traveling to other states as well on behalf of various candidates. Do the American people, do voters really feel like the U.S. economy right now is strong as hell, as the president contends? Absolutely not. I'm telling you that, you know, I have been to a number of other states. I did a, a child care roundtable with Chuck Grassley just earlier today. I was in Colorado with Joe O'Day. Uh, as we're hearing from a number of these various constituencies, they are hurting. Uh, Colorado and Nevada, I was in for Adam Laxalt as well. Those two states have some of the highest inflation in the United States, pushing up on 16 percent. And this is killing their families. As I said, folks are worried about putting food on their kitchen table. They are worried about putting gas in their vehicles to get to work. And the Democrats, they don't, they honest to God don't care. Just again, as you heard from uh, the good congressman there, they knew it was going to hurt American families and they did it anyway. So I don't know where President Biden and all of these Democrats across the United States, I don't know where they get off on getting into these policies that are so hurtful for Americans. And, you know, even uh, a senator that is on the Ag Committee a while back, I mean, she was laughing about the fact. She said, well, I laugh as I go by these gas stations and see those prices because I drive an electric vehicle. Stabenow from Michigan. Yes, I wasn't going to say it, but you did. So, you know, it's almost this elitist attitude that they are taking where they don't care. They're not impacted by the inflation as our hardworking American families are. So they tend to do these policies anyway when it's so hurtful uh, to Americans. I think they get the power, even if it's just by a hair. It's 50-50 Senate. They said, all right, we have just enough votes here. 
and let's go spend as much money as we possibly can and grow the scope and authority of government as much as we possibly can between those goals and abortion on demand through nine months. That is the entire raison d'etre of the Democratic Party these days, and that is what they have spent their time doing. And they don't care. We saw it with Obamacare, too. They didn't really care what the outcomes were. They didn't even care if they lost seats. As long as they could advance the ideological agenda and they had the votes to do it, they would twist arms and get it done, come what may. And we'll see what comes in November. You just mentioned, Senator, your time in Colorado, your time in Nevada. I know you've been or are going to Ohio as well. As you encounter some of these Republican candidates, Laxalt, Nevada, O'Day, Colorado, Vance, Ohio, what do you make of those races, of those candidates, of their opponents? What's your general sense on the ground in those places? Yes, I've been in for all three, and I'll be heading out to Washington State as well to help uh, Tiffany Smiley. Um, But uh, what I am hearing from these incredible candidates, and especially as we're doing the get out the vote efforts or going out into their communities, they're being so well received because they have a common sense attitude that is for middle America and supporting the policies that are important to a Americans. You know, a check on the federal government, a check on Joe Biden and the Democrats. And so we're feeling really good about a number of these races that are out there. And you'll see it in the polls as well as they're tightening for these um, off-year midterm elections. So it's, it's really good to see that these folks are working their tails off to make a difference for these states. And I hope the voters recognize that we need to move away from these ideological stances that the Democrats are taking that don't work for America, doesn't work for American energy, American jobs, and it certainly doesn't work for crime, the uh, border situation. Americans want real solutions, and that's what all of our candidates from Laxalt, O'Day, Smiley, Vance, um, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, Don Bulldog in New Hampshire, all of these great candidates across the board, this is what they're offering, reasonable solutions for Americans. Senator, I want to ask you about another race. I know you've commented on it. I know it's a tricky subject, but one that is personal to you. It's a House race in Indiana, toss-up race. There's a woman who seems very impressive named Jennifer Ruth Green, a Republican, a black Republican, actually, running for that seat in Indiana. And at some point in the last few weeks, some records leaked, some private records about her sexual assault while she was serving in the military ended up in Politico. And I know that Politico story generally painted her relatively favorably, I would say, but she was horrified that this leaked out. There are real questions about how that information was able to come into the possession of Politico. It doesn't look like it was just any sort of normal FOIA. There are people passing the buck around. It's unclear what happened, whether this was some sort of dirty trick, someone putting this out there to try to hurt her in some way. She's sort of owned it. The way that she's handled it, I think, has been very classy. You've been outspoken on this issue yourself. As I said, it's personal to you. You put out a statement about this situation in, in Indiana. I'm just wondering if you could talk to us about your reaction and how you felt when you saw this happen to Jennifer Ruth Green. It it was like a just a punch to my gut what Jennifer has gone through and I have the great honor 
of knowing her, have um, been with her on numerous occasions. I think she is an incredible, incredible young leader within our Republican Party. And I, by golly, I want her to win. So when this information was put out um, through Politico, um, again, I was just sickened by it because it is nobody else's information to spread around just as fodder uh, for people to read. This, this is very personal to me, whether it's sexual assault, whether it is domestic violence. As survivors, we should be the ones that are able to come forward with that information if we so choose. Yep. You know, and that is something that Jennifer did not want to bring forward. It was not relevant to her campaign. Um, again, she's an incredible leader. And the fact that this was done by whatever nefarious um, groups are that were out there trying to stir this up and even shame on Politico for running with that story because it, it didn't allow Jennifer to come forward and speak her mind on her own terms. And I think that if you want to honor survivors, you need to allow them to do it on their own terms. Mm. It was completely out of place. I think that's extremely well said, Senator. Let's turn to your state, the Hawkeye State. Some buzz this week about that famous poll, the Seltzer poll, is sort of the gold standard in your state, that shows Governor Reynolds way up, you know, coasting to reelection, it looks like. But your colleague in the Senate, Chuck Grassley, who's an institution, only ahead by three or four points over an opponent who really seems to be extremely flawed out there in Iowa. What do you make of that result? Is there anything that Chuck Grassley and his campaign should be worried about ahead of November 8th in the Hawkeye State? Yeah, this is great. So uh, the same poll, this exact same poll guy had me losing in 2020. My full interview with U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, Iowa Republican, available online at GuyBensonShow.com, part of our free podcast every day on demand, no charge. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, it's the home stretch. I think we need to clarify. We need to clarify a few things from last night's home stretch. We'll do that when we come back. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch from the Big Apple. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. Free podcast on demand after the show is over very shortly. GuyBensonShow.com. So last night during this part of the program, we had a discussion about Cookie's big night out on the town. After our event here at Fox on Tuesday evening, Christine was perhaps slightly overserved, partying with some of our colleagues, including some of our bosses, late into the night. And we discussed that, and we tallied up her drinks, which ranged between 7 and 10, we believe. She wants to say it's only 7. I'm not sure about that. And we talked about the phone calls that she forgot that she had placed to Wyatt and all of this stuff. And then, Christine, you were saying you were getting some notes from concerned parties. There were there were people texting, possibly calling, tweeting. tweeting. Mm-hmm. on at Cookies Jar 1988. That's your, your Twitter handle where you've got some good content, by the way. You should throw a follow to Christine. In fact, while you're thinking about it right now, at Cookies Jar 1988, at Guy P. Benson, that's me, and then at Guy Benson Show. I'm just 
going to plug the brands real quick. You had people worried about you and about some of your life choices, life decisions. Would you like to talk about some of these expressions of concern? Well, I just want to say something. I can go out once in a while. This isn't like an everyday thing. Guy, you were with me in California. Was I getting crazy every night? Every night? Guy. <laughs> no, I mean, you had a few drinks a few times, but it was nothing No. crazy. No. Even at the football game, you didn't really want to drink very much because you were afraid you were going to fall off the stadium. Well, and because it's, I'm trying to bring awareness to that. It's a problem across the country. It, it really isn't. And you're also trying to learn football. Right. Have you figured out the two-point conversion yet? No. Okay. No. It's really not that hard. I was talking to Mary Catherine Hamm about it at the Georgia football game last weekend, and she's like, it's not a hard concept. She said, you can talk to her maybe at the Christmas party. If you're still struggling, she'll explain it. Right. In any case. Struggling on that front. On that front. There's so many fronts where you're struggling, but talking about the two-point conversion issue, the comprehension there. So you got tweets, texts. Phone calls of concern, mm-hmm. including one from who? Can I say? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm just assuming this is what she meant, but your mother texted mm-hmm. me, Guy. She did. Your mom texted me. Yeah. I'm alarmed that she has your phone number. We text a lot. We yeah. actually, we were just texting last week about how, um, well, at that point, how we can all get ourselves invited to the Christmas party. Mm-hmm. And the most recent text incoming was what well, she was very very nice she said she she thought the picture was adorable that you posted thank you and she's right about that and by the way i got comments about it on my instagram and dms people saying that you were crazy to think that was a bad photo of yourself mm, i posted a better version of that actually i made that my profile picture on cookies jar 1988 okay on twitter yeah so but the point is you're wrong about that photo it looks good of you the people have decided including my mother so she started with a little butter up compliment and then she said please take it easy mm-hmm which led me to believe, after she heard the false tally of drinks that you added up. Well, I round it up, but I think that's a safe bet. Let's just call it seven. Seven drinks is what you listed. We went drink by drink. You listed seven of them between 6 p.m. and midnight. It's not crazy. That's a little more than one an hour. That's not totally nuts, but you're also a petite person. Yeah, but I can hold my liquor. Mm-hmm. You've had just... a lot of years of practice. That's true. That's true. So it's kind of, you know, there are two sides to this argument. But you're allowed to go out and, you know. Have a good time. Have a good time. And it wasn't it's just too, usually too not crazy. on a Tuesday. Right. No. And that's not usually I'm sound asleep by 930. But I just want everybody out there to know it's okay. Yeah. You, you wanted <laughs> to clarify okay. to the audience that despite the image that we portray here on the show. You portray. Oh, I don't think so. You love talking about mama's juice and Cosmos and lemon drops. And I mean, there are, it's all delicious, but mm-hmm. I think you lead the audience to believe there might be some substance abuse issues. No, no. No one is calling you a filthy drunk here. It's just, I think, a conclusion some people have drawn from your commentary. Dan, back I'm, me up here. I mean, some are saying. Many people. That partying, Christine, is a good time. And, I mean, I'm sad I I missed it the other night. I'm kind of having some FOMO from it. But hopefully one day, maybe at the Christmas party, I'll see it. 
I try to class it up at the Christmas party. Yeah. Do you? By the end of the Christmas party, although you're not the only one, our Christmas party, people have a really good time. And by the end of the night, a lot of people are sort of stumbling, bumbling out to the Uber. Yeah, I did fall asleep on Maxi last year in the Uber. Like literally? Yeah, I fell asleep on his shoulder. With my husband. My husband was on the other side of me. <laughs> he also heard the home stretch. What did he say about it? So my husband actually had an event last night for work because he works in radio as well. And he had an event. And after their event, him and his team went out for drinks. Ah. So he had a late night last night. He came home. I swear we take care of Megan. <laughs> the way this is sounding, I promise you Megan is well taken care of. You're like, you know what? Of. Maybe this clarification segment wasn't such a good idea. No. <laughs> so he had his version of this uh-huh. last I night. I was home, though. Yeah, I was okay, home. someone was home. No alcohol. <laughs> so there was, I was going to say a responsible adult at home, but there was an adult at home. Yes, Megan and I were home, safe, watching Real Housewives. We were good. You watch that show with your daughter? She likes it. Oh, that's a whole different conversation. And so, but anyway, Bobby came home and he was listening to the home stretch in his car ride on his Uber home. And so when he came in, I said, oh, did you have a good night? It's a little late. And he goes, yeah. And I go, did you guys go out after? He goes, yeah. He goes, but apparently I am not having as much fun with my coworkers (laughs) as you are. Apparently not. Maybe he needs more fun coworkers. Although I'm not one to talk because I didn't come along. I mean, he married his coworker. Let's not forget. That is true. That, speaking about you, just yes. in case anyone was curious. Yeah, that's yes, Bobby Chris and I were coworkers here. Met at Fox mm-hmm. News Radio. And I was such a fun time. Yeah, until he then had to leave Fox. Yeah, we just didn't think it was a smart idea to have two people in the same, you know, on the same show. In the I same- think working with your spouse every day, in addition to all the time that you spend with them at home... I think that would be a a bit much for me. It was a lot. Yeah. Because we would take our fights or whatever on air, you know, off air. I mean, there'd be days we'd be walking down 7th Avenue. I'd make him walk on the other side because I just couldn't even look at his face anymore. Wow. That sounds healthy. Imagine the home stretches. (laughs) They are deranged enough. I don't think we need that. And he actually seems to take great pleasure from listening to our home stretches. Oh, he loves it. He gets a kick out of me. I told you, eventually, and other people have warned me, other hosts actually have warned me, it's going to wear off eventually. The antics you, you know. Really? <laughs> I mean, is it gonna, has it worn off? We've no. been doing this for how long? Years? <laughs> so I did see, I was going to read one comment in response to the photo, because we directed people to the photo of you on my Instagram yesterday, at Guy P. Benson. People agreed that you looked good and that you were wrong, saying that it was one of the worst photos ever and you looked wasted or whatever. No. One woman just says, so that's Christine. Which seemed a little bit foreboding in some way. But if you want to know, that's Christine at Guy P. Benson. It's my most recent photograph. You can slide or swipe over. Or you can follow at Cookies Jar 1988. And she has posted some photos from the event as well. So do you feel like you accomplished what you wanted to in this segment? No, I think I just made it worse. And now Bobby's going to listen to this. Mm -hmm. And and I just made it sound like we're terrible parents on top of drinkers. Oh. Congratulations. Uh, We're we're out of time. So the segment is over, and I found this to be a very worthwhile, edifying segment. So there. I don't even know what to say to you. Well, fortunately, you don't have to say anything because we're literally the clock is going to cut the show off. Back here tomorrow, no longer from New York City for the Guy Benson Show, Friday edition, same time, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. Talk to you then. Have a great night.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.